welcome once again. It's the Dice Are Screaming with oh. Mike and Randy coming at you on another <laughs> Friday. How y'all doing? Hope you had a good weekend. Here's the weekend coming at you. Hope you had some gaming or got some gaming going on. And as usual, if not, you can hang out with us because we're going to tell some tales and laugh a little bit. And hopefully you'll laugh and enjoy our stories. So, we have today a veritable list of things to do. So, we're going to get right into it. Oh, yeah. With some call-ins. Yes, yes. We begin with the call-ins. And today's call-in is from... Tim Shorts. At beautiful Gothridge Manor. Oh, yes. Bedecked in... All black clothing with silver jewelry, smoking mm. a clove cigarette. Yes. <laughs> I've never seen a manor actually smoke a clove cigarette before, but it, I, I assure you it is awesome. Yes, and his podcast is awesome. You should be listening to that. So without further ado, here's Tim Shorts. Call in. Hey guys, Tim Shorts from Gothridge Manor here, listening to your show. I really enjoy the interaction between you two. Um... And uh, had a chance to kind of on a long trip today listen to the whole episode. So keep up the great work, guys. Uh, world building stuff, always good to hear, you know, different ways of doing it. Uh, you gave me an idea about doing a podcast about game balance. We're going to do more of a counter arguments to yours, like uh, about not worrying about it so much. Uh, so, yeah, uh, appreciate the idea, guys. Uh, keep on going and enjoy it. Uh, looking forward to the next episode. Thanks. All right. That was Tim Shorts, everybody. And uh, again, if you're not listening to Gothridge Manor, well, you should be. Yeah, I'm saying you really should. And uh, Tim brings up a great point. You know, and you, you've got to take our concerns on game balance with a grain of salt. Not because we're completely wrong, but because we are old school enough that the additions that we were you know, learning at the time, uh, first and second edition, there were a lot of articles in Dragon Magazine and other supplements with cautionary tales of game balance and things that had gone horribly awry. So it, we just grew up saturated in these warnings. Oh, whatever you do, don't let this happen in your game. And I gotta say, stepping out of my own perspective for a moment and looking uh, around... New editions, I think, have done a much better job assisting game masters in having a reasonably balanced game right out of the gate. Yeah. The, the, the materials are just so much better at this now. Um, and that's, that's a kudo to a lot of the people who came up through the ranks and became uh, game designers and game developers and game writers. They just do a stellar job nowadays and yep. really doing that for you. So... Uh, while we reference it a lot as a thing to watch out for as a game master, I don't think our warnings are wasted or useless or pointless, but they are probably a little excessive. We yeah. we get a little heavy-handed on that one. And it's part of who we were and how we were taught how to game master, you know, but... Uh... Yeah, a lot of it, you're right. It's, and it's, it's honestly based on the mistakes we made back in the day. Yeah. So there's a little oh, chastened yeah. humility here going, oh, yeah, all right, that happened. Oops. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> you're right that it takes care of itself. But uh, also, thank you for the high praise coming from you. That oh, is yeah. high praise indeed. And uh, 
again, thanks so much for the call in. We appreciate that. And uh, on that note, we're going to continue on onto the columns. Now, this is from the Twitterverse. Yes, the Twitterverse is actually a very friendly place. Uh, starting with DM Southy. Uh, DM Southy is a great guy. Uh, you should be following him if you're on Twitter. And if not, of course, you should be. But uh, DM Southy, you know, every hundred or so followers he gets. He sends out a little uh, care package of games, and uh, we've got some sitting with us here. So yeah. if you're listening to that, DM Southie, uh, thank you for that, and we'll definitely be passing along. And also, uh, Hideous Laughter Podcast. Now, these cats are doing Pathfinder Carrying Crown Adventure Path, and very timely for that at Halloween. So make sure you listen to those folks. They're great. First, great name. I mean, you know, Hideous Laughter and Second, uh, am I wrong in, you know, was there some indication that this is a a fellow Creaky, another... Yeah, a Creakian, a, yes. a veteran escapee from our hometown. Yeah, uh, apparently uh, went to Battle Creek Central, so... Oh, well, awesome, man, and, you know, way to go. I'm going to have to give that a listen myself. Yeah, so if you want to check those out, DM Southie at DM Southie, just that easy, and uh, Hideous Laughter Podcast at... On Twitter, you can check them out at Laughter Hideous on Twitter. So that uh, does it for us. I'm throwing it up like David Letterman. <laughs> Breaking window. Paul, can we get some throwing away the card music? Uh, exactly. <laughs> so we're going to turn to tonight. Uh, we're going to kind of abandon a little bit of our normal uh, talking about games, but yeah. we are going to talk about gaming. So hang on. Yeah, we're we're in the zone. We're in the zone, but uh, we've been really hitting the heavy stuff. We've been we've been doing the heavy hitters for the last uh, month, where we've just been uh, nailing the big meta topics and the the game centric concepts. Uh, so, you know, not to diss ourselves, but we're actually doing this one for love. This is this is about uh, relaxing a little bit and talking about stuff we just really enjoy. Oh, we're gonna do superhero games. No. Oh. It's like Lucy oh, in the man. football. I you dangle it in front of you and then snatch. No. One day, I swear. Yes, the superhero games will happen someday. I promise you that, my friend. Right. But what we're we doing talking? Appendix N.5. All right. Hey, you can talk about books. I love books. Yes. Not the most exciting topic to some people, but... You know, uh, this isn't... We covered a, Appendix N early on. Right. And we did it lovingly. We yeah. had a great time. That was a terrific conversation, and I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, but we were really mostly focused on touching on the things in Appendix N that we were familiar with and that right. were beloved to us. And we brushed up against some stuff that wasn't in Appendix N. Yeah. This time... Well, it's all about the people who aren't in Appendix N. Stuff that we just loved that came too late or, you know, came along uh, at a different time and place, and it wasn't listed in there. But these are just books we really dug, so how about you kick it off? Well, okay, well, we'll talk about Jack Chalker. Oh, see, now, this is one we brushed up against uh, in the last one. I, I believe we mentioned The River of the Dancing God. Yes, we did mention it. But what a, it's a great series. Yeah, it is one of those series where uh, you can find it um, 
I don't know if it's been reprinted recently, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's out still out in the wild there, finding out those lost paperbacks or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's Amazon. one of those transformative where two people enter into a fantasy world brought there by a wizard. Yeah, on the the night that they would have died, he shuffles their souls from their world to another world, and uh, Marge, the washed out school teacher who is you know reduced to turning tricks on the highway, yep. and Joe, the old trucker that uh, you know he was a soldier and a trucker, and you know he's divorced and misses his kid. You know they just have lives that have not been treating them good. And they get a whole new world to start over again in. Yep, and then the primary heroes. And, uh, of course, they go through a lot of problems. And we're not going to synopsize that. Yeah. It's it's a good read. And I definitely mention it because Jack Chalker is one of those guys who, you know, he is of that old breed. But he is definitely on the cusp of doing some kind of different stuff. So it was at the time when it was out there. It was very relevant, but of course, Appendix N had already been published, so yeah, he didn't get included. But I think that it's very worth noting that he was uh, a good one, just like the Sleeping Dragon. And for this alone, you must like take your chances on Jack L. Chalker's The River of the Dancing Gods. You will never again encounter a barbarian named Joe who wears a cowboy hat with the inscription on the front on a little metal plate <laughs> yeah. that reads Peterbilt. Peterbilt. Yeah, uh, that is the stuff of epic heroism. Yeah. Not to mention his beloved fairy, uh, fairy-made uh, magical sword, which he himself named. Uh, you know, because every great magical sword needs a name, and its first wielder names it. And he named it for his beloved son, whom he missed, Irving. Irving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sword dug the name. <laughs> So that is that is a well worthy you know read for anybody interested in the fantasy genre. Right, and then we're gonna go right Under straight magic. to Clifford Simak. Oh and yeah, where the evil dwells. This was a favorite of mine because there are a lot of classic archetypal moments in this. There, uh, you know, little whiffs of ancient mythology, uh, the epic quest. The you know peasant mm-hmm. farm boy hero, the dark uh, lord, uh, the dark lord, uh, you know the terrifying forest, uh, the faithful companion, the nerly man, man. Uh, you know the the wild person from the woods that uh, is his faithful and trusty pal. I I loved that that particular book uh, because it was a standalone. It was one read and one read only, uh, and you got so much mileage out of it. Just yep. classic mythology incarnate, and it's self-contained in just one novel, so it was really easy to digest. Yeah, this is this was not a oh boy, I'm invested in like an eleven-part series now. No, nope. no, no, just one pure pleasure, one and done, and you know that was uh, part of it. Um, now C.J. Shera. Is also mentioned. Oh, then yeah, she's she was done so much, editor, wasn't you know? she? Yeah. Uh, C.J. Sherry, uh, I believe she was tied into uh, Merovingian Knights, which was uh, not quite pure fantasy per se, uh, but it was another one of those Thebes World style compilations 
where multiple authors worked on things. Yep. Not to mention, aside from her independent, like her novels, uh, she was also present in a lot of the 80s anthologies. Yeah, and she was, was also guy. a prolific uh, writer on her own. So anything by Shara is also worth uh, picking up. So what else we got here? Let's see. Uh, let's jump to another one. Um, what Evans? Oh, uh, Lawrence Watt Evans. Ah, okay. This is the guy who wrote The Misenchanted Sword. Ah, yes. And The Spell of the Black Dagger and uh, The Unwilling Warlord. Uh, he had a wonderful tongue-in-cheek sense of humor that uh, wasn't as pronounced and obvious as, say, for instance, things like uh, Discworld from Terry Pratchett. Okay, Terry Pratchett creates this really vivid world uh, and on that stage, a lot of humor takes place. Now, Lawrence Watt Evans is a little more muted, uh, but his treatment of magic uh, in some of the novels that were connected or by the taking place in more or less the same location, uh, his treatment of magic was fascinating. Uh, he he had a very matter-of-fact storytelling style too. So this was you know this was good reading fodder. Not quite as high fantasy epic excitement as some, mm -hmm. because he almost strived for a whiff of realism that took away a shred of the fantasy. And, and to reference uh, the Misenchanted Sword, uh, Scout goes out on a long patrol, gets separated from his unit, uh, and he gets chased by a pack of half-demons that their enemy nation employs. Mm -hmm. And he takes refuge quite by accident, uh, in a wizard's hut. And this old wizard living in a swamp puts him up for the night, not realizing, you're like, what do you mean they're hot on your tail? Yeah, you know, at yeah. the last minute, they find out that these guys are hot on their tail. Well, the wizard saves both their lives by hiding them uh, with a hastily, hastily prepared spell. And is furious about the destruction of his home uh, by these you know, half-demon soldiers. So, the guy begs him, please, Mr. Wizard, just, you know, like, I, I need an edge to get back to my unit. That's all I need. Can't you just please do something for me? So the guy consents, all right, you got a sword. I will lay some enchantments on it. I don't have much left. They blew up most of my stock. You know, all my implements and tools are missing. I'll, I'll pick what I can out of the rubble, and I'll slap together whatever spells can help get you home. And one of them went horribly awry, yeah. and he winds up with a sword that will not let him lose in combat, uh, but will eventually turn on him uh, after it's killed a hundred men. <laughs> Just what a quirky item to be stuck with, and the novel goes to great lengths uh, explaining how he finally gets his way out of that little rat's nest. Yep, and of course, this is where you good artists borrow but great artists steal this is where you take a, when reading different fantasy novels you salt your imagination plant seeds and you can take all sorts of things i have ripped on lawrence watt evans magic style yeah. for flawed magic items uh you know terrific thing with a lot of perks and one fatal horrific flaw that you then have to cope with i have ripped that off shamelessly yeah just Take that for what it's worth, because Mike, you know, rips off things without shame. So he says shamelessly, you know. especially the kimono. Oh, so. yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, then next up, uh, let's see, Mercedes Lackey. Ah. Let's talk about her. Valdemar series. Mm. Now, I don't know if you'd read that. I, don't I have you. actually not, so I'm going to have to defer to you on this one. This was a better piece for the young adult fiction category, although it, it's remained very popular with a lot of adults. Uh, her Valdemar series, uh, actually, it, it's spanned it just however many trilogies of books at this point uh, and invited in other authors to do anthologies. That was the 1980s, uh, but while not quite traditional high fantasy, uh, it did tend to monofocus on like single protagonist mm. per novel. Okay, uh, and they were culled from the ranks of the residents of this country. Uh, they were chosen based on the fact that they possessed gifts that. It could be just the ability to start a fire, or the ability to read a mind, mm. uh, or uh, perhaps uh, you know the ability to work actual serious magic. Uh, and they were referred to as heralds because they were all automatically inducted into the service of the kingdom. Uh, and once their talent was recognized, uh, they would then go to the capital and get training. And they would then be dispatched on missions uh, because there were not lots of them. Ah, so so kind of like the X Men. Yeah, it was a little little hint of that is that you know like yeah. they've all got these disparate, unique talents. Yeah, except they're not being hunted by you know uh, the Sentinels. No, 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 no Sentinels hunting, but uh, plenty of other countries and you know bad wizardry afoot that you have to go out and fight. All right. So that all of those series were very entertaining. Yeah. All right, and then uh, next we got. Tanya Huff. Oh, yeah. Oh, Tanya Huff. Now, in this case, I only mention this one because it's a book I am just enamored of uh, called The Fire's Stone. And it was really more of a party of three with a barbarian rogue, uh, a noble, drunken lush who is whose only real talent is that when he's sober, he is amazing with a sword. <laughs> but his skills are wasted because he's just a an alcoholic who is sexually, you know, self-indulgent, yeah, just chasing wine and loose partnerships everywhere he can. And then a high-born daughter from another country who is a very powerful magician and hopes someday to reach the highest levels of magic and does not want to be forced into an arranged marriage. Yeah. Um, and the three of them have to save a country from being destroyed. And guess who's the meat shield? Yeah, I know. You know, they just—they're the—they're uh, the B team. Okay, yeah. you know, none of none of them really wanted this job, and you know, all of them have their flaws, but they have to work their way around their flaws to save a country. Uh, with regard to Glenn Cook, tell me. Yes. Oh, oh uh, yes, Glenn Cook. Uh, much noted by Gary Gygax in one of his Dragon Magazine rants um, from the Sorcerer's Scroll. Ah. mentioned as being missed on the Appendix N for the Black Company. And uh, the Black Company is a series now that has, uh, I think it's up on maybe fifth book. I haven't read them, in, uh, kept up with them as much as I should have. But I definitely enjoyed the Black Company and the others. Um, it's a very uh, terse tale. And kind of grim and gritty, very much about mercenaries 
and the Black Company and the Fantasy Kingdom in the way that they uh, run amok of various powers while trying to keep their honor and themselves alive. It's a very intriguing book on how to mix magic in a mercenary company because they do have their uh, spells. Oh, do they? Oh, yes. Uh, they have their spell uh, company as well, so they keep their enchantments up and all that. So it's very interesting on that part, how you would work in a mercenary company with magic involved. But, uh, yeah, it's also uh, quite adult in nature and tone. And so for some, it is a little ribald. But uh, I didn't find it so much so. But apparently I was, I've encountered other people who read it. Oh, it's kind of kind of uh, dicey there, some on language. Yeah, well. <clears throat> but that's that's other people. Me, I, you know, I love a good read. So basically military fantasy is the easiest way to put that in a nutshell. Well worth the read and uh, ah. keeping up with it. Uh, shame on me for letting this kind of slide over the years. Oh, well, I would be ashamed if I didn't mention Barbara Hambly. Oh, yeah. Uh, I may have or may not have. I'm not sure in our previous Appendix N session if I mentioned this, but uh, for me, Barbara Hambly is a giant on par with the epics of classic fantasy. Uh, the Time of the Dark... Uh, the Walls of Air, it just uh, that particular yeah, trilogy, yeah. Well, and then later uh, Sun Wolf and uh, I think it was Sparhawk, uh, the Dark Hand of Magic. Uh, she created marvelous characters that were enjoyable to read about, and she wrote novels that had like that perfect wisp of a place that had already been there for a long time. So as a world builder, this lady was top-notch. She was actually a scholar of medieval history to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, she, she kind of had a firm grounding. Uh, um, dark in some of her later books. Yeah, uh, it did, It did for me, get a little darker and a little bit harder to read, but I'm the kind the, of, you know, the glasses half-full kind of guy. What was it? Uh, the dragon... Or Dragon Shadow. Dragon Shadow, yeah. And uh, the one before that, which uh, mm-hmm. it was about a, a guy who was the la- or the last Dragon's Bane. Uh, you know, just this country bumpkin-esque <laughs> lord that uh, everybody remembered. They remembered his name uh, in the South because he was the last living person ever to have personally killed a dragon. Yep. And they're all full of tales of fancy, you know, down South. Like, oh, you know, the shining blade as he rode his steed towards the beast. Oh, my God. Are you people crazy? I'd have been fried to death in a couple of seconds if I'd run right at it on a horse. Yeah. Uh, No, I lured it into a gully and killed it with a poisoned axe. Yeah, poison. You know. (laughs) Yeah, he killed it with poison, so that's good. Uh, We're going to move a little bit on here uh, as we're getting a little shorter on time. I'm going to mention Robert Aspirin. Uh Uh, Thieves World World Anthologies anthologies, and the Myth series, Myth Adventures, uh, with Skeev and Oz. Yeah, always good for humor. Um, If you like lighthearted stuff, of course, uh, him and Piers Anthony uh, are always good uh, for a lighthearted romp. But uh, there's a lot of good uh, seeds in there, especially Thieves World. I really like Thieves World. I was a big big fan of the following. Anytime those came out, I snatched them up. So I have a little good books about that. But let's focus a little bit on some epics that recently have come in. And uh, First of all, we did mention a little bit about 
uh, Raymond Feist and the Rift War Saga. Yes. Magician Apprentice and Magician Master were the first two books. And uh, they've been republished and re-edited many, many times. And they're still, I believe, reasonably easy to find. In yeah, print. Uh, they certainly are. And he just scored a deals to uh, pick it up. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's been optioned. So, you know, they're in the they're in the pipeline to try and do a... Yeah, hopefully they do show. better than they did with the Shanahara, but that's my personal opinion. I still I mean, like the fact that I got to see it. So. It would be wonderfully epic if, like, this goes off on the level of Game of Thrones or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's well worth that. Because Raymond D. Feist's Magician Apprentice, Magician Master, those are great introductions. It also gives you a, a sight of a magic user. And his collaboration with Janny Wirtz doing oh. Daughter of the Empire, okay. uh, Mistress of the Empire, Servant of the Empire, that trilogy is a equally amazing world-building uh, view. You, if you get a look at this, uh, that series is really going to blow your Although mind. Although it was more like the Oriental side of his world. It, uh, it, it was the world on the other side of the rift. That, yep, that wasn't <clears throat> that the Midkemia? Uh, Midkemia was the yeah, prime and... world in which Raymond E. Feist's series starts taking place. And then Kelowan is yep, Kelowan. the enormous world on the other side of the rift uh, that has a much more... Uh, there are elements of multiple Asian countries there, yeah. uh, be it uh, from India, uh, Japanese, Chinese, uh, just this enormous variety. And even... Uh, uh, almost Aztec uh, and Mayan hints. Mm -hmm. Just these enormous, uh, sprawling uh, culture that was hidebound with tradition. So the world crafting in that particular series is just just over the top. It's, well, it's Raymond Weiss used to, Medkemia uh, Press, he used to publish his world as a game world yeah. back in the day. So you can pick those up. And it, it was a video period. game, although I wish I had played it. Uh, it oh, I had a yeah. computer that blew up at the time, and I couldn't ever make use of that disc. And so now, what? of course, it's far too late. Oh, wow. Well. And then uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about David Eddings. Now, that's personal favorite uh, of me and Mike's. See, we brushed up against mentioning David Eddings. The uh, Belgariad, of course. The Belgariad and the Malorian. Uh, these two... Uh, quintologies? <laughs> yeah, they were huge. Yeah, it was five books each. Uh, and he has other series out there, but those two made a huge impression. Uh, I read Pawn of Prophecy when I was about 14 or 15, and it had this enormous lasting impression on me because... Back when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Oh, yeah. I, look, if it hadn't been for... Uh, <laughs> That Brontosaurus, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have been able to fight off the, you know, T-Rex on the way yeah, to school, yeah. walking uphill both ways, ways in the snow, snow. Uh, fighting the dinosaurs. I kid, I kid. I kid. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, so anytime you can pick up some David Eddings, uh, you know, just read that stuff up, because you will not be disappointed. Wonderful mismaking. Uh, it's, it's just beautiful classic work. Uh, in the second five-book series... It begins to get a little familiar because they're striking the same themes yep. intentionally, and it is intentional. It was not like this was some accident where, oops, uh, we slipped in some old material. 
No, it was ripping on the same theme, and it was making a point about uh, the universe kind of moving in similar directions over and over again. But that might have, you know, disappointed some people if they expected it to be a totally new feeling. Uh, for those who loved the series in the first place, the second series equally satisfied. Uh, at least for me. Yep, and then uh, we're going to go right into George R. R. Martin. The yeah. The in the room. He's like, should he be included in the appendix then? Some say yay, some say nay. If a new one were written today, I'd say he should be. Exactly. I think that his uh, ability to build a fantasy world, even one that's in decline with an ebb and flow of magic, is very worth noting. His attention to detail, even if sometimes he uses a lot of vulgar words, he's attempting to speak in a common nomenclature. And he, sometimes he does overreach, and I believe that uh, with the success of his TV series on HBO, he allowed fantasy to be reached to a far greater audience than yeah. he normally would have uh, by his book. But his books alone, you know, I was uh, in trucking school at the time, and I just picked up a cheap novel. I wanted something thick, and I thought it was just going to be easy to read and trashy and just disposable. And uh, by about the eighth chapter, I was just drawn in. And I was like, well, screw that. I'm screwed now. So Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. There's I no way out. The, yeah, I, I just can't set this book aside. I was totally engrossed. So, But that's the sign of a good book. And uh, love him or hate him, you know, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I enjoyed the series on TV. Uh, you know, whatever differences may be between the novels and whatever people may say about, you know, like, yeah, is this authentic fantasy? Is this the right kind of fantasy? It's obviously a fantasy setting. There is some degree of perceptible magic. There are dragons, and, you know, there are undead, and there are people fighting like hell to Yeah, things are starting to cut. This is what it's like to be where there was no magic, and it's all just like, all those are just old tales. Yeah, just Snollygasters and polygots. And now, this stuff is coming to truth. Yeah, when it, it when all of a sudden it comes back in that thousand year old legend. Oh, they say that magic was powerful in the day. You know, no, now it's coming back. So yeah, now you're about to see what it's really like. Um, other shout outs. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, one thing where we're going to wrap this up is everybody knows about Moorcock Howard. Oh yeah, we Anderson. hit the big notes, the the classics, Conan and uh, you know Elric of Melibony last time, but. Uh, I want to touch on uh, Mary Stewart, the Crystal Cape. See, that's an Arthurian retelling. Okay, it was yeah. it was nineteen eighties or end of the seventies or dawn of the eighties, and Mary Stewart did the Crystal Cave and a couple of other books after that were a retelling of the Arthurian mythos uh, through the eyes of Merlin mm -hmm. uh, as a youngster uh, in Roman occupied Britain. Uh, that, to me, was just this terrific historical read. Uh, it, her knowledge of ancient, you know, historic lore, uh, things from uh, the Iron Age, uh, yep. her grasp of that time period was superb. And I was a young reader at the time, so it just really impressed me that, like, wow, this is so much more detailed than I thought. It's almost terrifying. Uh, you know, it's a little unflinching and brutal at moments. Yeah, so maybe it was not the best thing to read <laughs> at like age 12 or 13, but, you know, I it, it left a mark, man. And that's worth mentioning because that stuck with me even as I was just on the cusp of starting to game. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, Mary Stewart's The Crystal Cave was still in my head. Now, also, uh, you're really big into Storm Constantine, and I've read uh, Wraith You, and uh, I have to say that one thing I was left with the impression with is her attention to detail and unique world building. Yeah, Wraith You is not for everybody. That was very much a me kind of thing, but I have to mention Storm Constantine because she's been an enormous inspiration to me because of her ability to name things, there's an importance she places on giving the right name to a person, to a place, even to a building. Uh, there was a, a house uh, in a town named Galhia, and the house was named, the house in which the leader of that area lived in was named We Dwell in Forever. Uh, and that was a sign hung on the door, you yeah. know, or on the, the fence that led to it. Uh, yeah, her naming was just uh, phenomenal. The, what is it, the capital city, Imanian, uh, and uh, the principal government building in it, the palace, was named Phaonica. Uh, just these stellar names, and her, again, world building and world crafting were big things with her. But it was her incredible gift of language to create these almost poetic names. Like you were reading something out of an ancient Sumerian myth. <laughs> uh, that is worthy of respect, and it's stuck in my head forever after. Yeah, and uh, uh, Lloyd Alexander. Got to mention. Oh him. yeah, Lloyd Alexander, uh, young reader, uh, basically retelling the Celtic and Welsh myths with Arwen as a personified sorcerer. Of course, uh, everybody knows the Disney cartoon or the Black Cauldron. Yeah. And uh, Taran, the Chronicles of Taran the Wanderer. But boy, did his description of the Black Cauldron, its power, and the Dark Lord Arwen really strike a tone with me because the Cauldron Born, you know, the, is those reanimated undead slave to the Dark Lord himself. <laughs> and, you know, the terror that a young man faces as he grows to his youth, or from his youth into manhood, and with his companion. And, of course, uh, an enchanted sword and a wizard helping him. You know, all these things, mentoring, and oh, left a good impression to me, especially as I entered the Marine Corps. It was a moment where I would look back and say, here's my crucible, you know. So for me, those were uh, important things uh, growing up. But also, I think that as an appendix end, they're worthy additions if we were to write our own. So take them for what you want, guys. We are getting low on time here, so we're just going to leave you off with this, is that Oh, Dave Duncan. Oh, that, that I almost forgot one. Dave Duncan, the Reluctant Swordsman. Swordsman. Oh yeah. Okay, it's a three-part series. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a transformation one where the guy gets pulled from like his life on Earth as he's dying. Yeah. Wakes up in the body of a barbarian, uh, and you know he's like a middle-aged chemical engineer in the body of <laughs> an incredibly well-trained barbarian swordsman, uh, with few peers in the world, and a unknown mission for a goddess. And here's a guy who just doesn't believe in any of that kind of thing. You know, that it's yeah. not the world that he, didn't he came from. And he doesn't realize why he's perfect for the job in front of him. So I'll, I'll leave that as, like, my final note. Dave Duncan, uh, the reluctant swordsman. Uh, but you're right. We've, we've hit the time 
yeah. bar here. We're closing in on 33, 34 minutes here. Yeah, probably. We don't want you guys to snooze off on us, but we appreciate you sticking with us I, if I, you stuck us all the way through. Or We're boring enough as it is. I, we don't need to be causing like car wrecks as people <laughs> listen to us, you know, and they just pass out at the wheel. They're like, oh, who are these droning idiots? No, I... We're waxing uh, poetic on favorite books, and it has been fun because yep. this one, this one is cushy for us. This is actually the the exact kind of conversation we have all the time. And yeah, we pull a lot from our literature, both early and uh, mid lives. So again, if you like what you hear, hit that applause button. Send us some love. On um, the likes on Twitter and our Facebook, of course, at Dice Screaming. And of course, on Twitter, you can reach me at Death Hand Gaming. That's D E T H A N D Gaming. And of course, I'm Magi Vox at M A G I V O X on yep. Twitter. Although I am a little less likely to be on Twitter sometimes. I, yeah. I, I don't do the smartphone thing. So it's only when I'm home and actually, you know, I, I gird my loins for battle and enter the internet. Oh. Yep, yeah, I'm Tron that. style. <laughs> Boy, holy crap, I just dated myself yeah, there. Well, you know, they, they do a reboot. <laughs> it's a good so, thing I dated myself because nobody else would date me. Oh, boy. Oh. All right, well, on that note, we'll bid you do. <laughs> and uh, you have a great weekend. Hope your games are all good. And of course, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll, roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>